Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast. You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Now let's get to the episode. Presented by Hunting Exchange, a marketplace for serious hunters by serious hunters. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Today, we're talking about big bucks in the mountains with Mr. Rusty Johnson. Rusty, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Excellent. Doing excellent. Jacob, how are you? I'm doing well, there with your fancy new microphone. Yeah, with a new microphone. We'll see how it sounds. I sound like a, I feel pretty bassy right now. I feel like I should be on the radio, but uh, no, doing great. And then, of course, we got Michael Pike. Michael, what's going on, dude? Oh, nothing much. Oh. Yeah, same old same. Rusty, I'm going to give you a little background here. We got roasted because... 
Jacob and Michael, that they got they won't clean out their noses before podcasts. They've been nose whistling. So we had to spend three hundred bucks on a new mic setup just so Jacob would quit nose whistling into and the I setup. was I was sick. I had sinus problems. <laughs> Anyways, now that I've derailed this intro. Yep. Uh but R- Rusty to kind of kick us off. So one thing interesting about you is you're from the Ozark Mountains or currently living in the Ozark Mountains of Arkansas, Northwest Arkansas. And that is a very interesting place of the country um, that I find uh, there are some really, really good woodsmen uh, from that neck of the woods. You know, that southern part of Missouri, northern, north central and northwestern part of Arkansas. And, um, you know, you came to us kind of highly um, requested by some other individuals that kind of know you. Uh, there are some other listeners. And after kind of doing a little more research and talking with you a little bit more, I was very impressed and really, really wanted you to come on the show to kind of share some of this knowledge from the mountains. Because one thing I think we discussed, uh, you and me discussed previously before, is the difference between hunting the Ozarks and kind of the structure of the Ozarks compared to what you might find up in the Appalachian Mountains, which is another large mountain chain that we have a lot of listeners from. Uh, and the Ozarks definitely stand alone by themselves uh, as a dis- the different kind of aspect of mountain hunting in the Southeast. Um, but to kind of kick us off, Rusty, I know you're not originally from that area. So give us a little background of kind of, you know, of course, who you are, but what region of Arkansas are you originally from and how did you transition to start hunting in the mountains? Well, uh, I'm originally from Southwest Arkansas, just North of Texarkana. Uh, that's where I spent most of my childhood and, uh, hunting those small bucks down there. We were unfortunate that I didn't get to grow up hunting big bucks, but, we moved up here about 23 years ago uh, because of a job opportunity I had. So uh, we've been up here ever since, and I had to learn these Ozark Mountains is a little bit different hunting up here. But I feel like that I've figured out some things, and I've been really successful hunting up here so far. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, the cool thing about the Ozarks is I have a brother that goes to school um, in, in Arkansas that's uh, in and around the Ozarks, and he actually just uh, shot a, a really big bear that we're going to talk about in the outro uh, of this podcast. But uh, actually, I think he's going to call in, by the way. i got to call him, uh, so he'll be on the outro. But the Ozarks are just very interesting. I used to go to school in Arkansas in a, at a little school called Subiaco Academy, uh, kind of getting halfway between Russellville and Fort Smith, Arkansas and kind of grew up in the area around uh, Mount Magazine and everything else. And it's just an interesting area to live in, and there's some really big deer to be had. But the thing is, I, I quickly learned is there's uh, different types of hunters out there. I knew some guys that are just very simple, kind of hunting over corn on the private land, just real simple, you know, nothing nothing to it. And then I knew some other guys that really got after it up in the mountains uh, and have always looked up to people from that area, uh, kind of from, you know, growing up, at least going to school there uh, in the past. Now, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, your experience in the mountains, because the thing is, we were talking a little bit earlier, uh, I'll say earlier, a couple of days ago uh, about this podcast, and you had mentioned to me just kind of your experience and what you learned, especially took away some stuff from your father as well, uh, that's kind of really played a huge factor with you having success in the mountains. Can you talk a little bit more about that experience and some of those things that you picked up from years past to kind of apply to have success up there? Yeah, uh, my dad always told me that, you know, when you're out scouting, you're out in the woods, look for terrain features that influence deer movement. So I've I've used that as a base uh, whenever I'm out there scouting and looking around and spending time in the woods. I use terrain features, you know, that influence deer movement, like ditches, drainages, uh, gaps, and interior edges. Awesome. And this is going to be a perfect segue to some of this. One thing that you didn't mention, though, but I want to hit on right here is saddles. What is your take on saddles in the mountains? Uh, you know, 
just about everybody look for those saddles and I do too. I mean, I put cameras in saddles and stuff like that, but I shy away from saddles. I mean, I'm not saying it doesn't work, but I don't hunt saddles very often at all. I mean, I'm not saying it's a bad place to hunt, but uh, I tried, I, I hunt a little bit, I think a little bit outside the box and tried different, more, uh, I don't know how to put it. it it's just, I hunt different terrain features than saddles. Well, perfect. I, mean, I don't know how else to put it, but, but I just don't, I mean, it seems like a lot of people, you know, are, it's like a magnet. People pull up a topo, they find a saddle, and that seems like where everybody goes. And I try to go where people don't go. Uh, well, you're speaking uh, Michael Pike's language here, <laughs> doing stuff outside the box. Hey, well, that's like when we interviewed Bill Thompson uh, with a lot of GPS study type stuff. And he was talking about how uh, the mature animals seem to avoid those saddles, uh, whether they've learned to or whether if they've just like predisposed to not use them and they just didn't get killed. So, I mean, it, it, it's kind of cool seeing that mirror, what he talked about when he's talking about a lot of stuff in, I guess, PA the south um not so much in arkansas but it's something that i guess in hilly terrain no matter where you're at where there's hunting pressure that's something he's noticed so that that's cool that you notice that too yeah i have noticed that i mean in my experience uh it, it just i mean saddles are beautiful places and i do believe that deer use them but just in my experience and I, i've hunted them in the past but i've just not had the success hunting saddles as i do hunting these other terrain features that i look for now, Rusty, uh, is there a certain time that you do focus on the saddles, like during the rut or anything like that, like when you're trying to catch does coming through them? I'd say in the last five years, I almost never hunt a saddle, period. Okay. Nice. So, okay, well, so you don't like saddles, so that narrows it down. So what what do you like as far as terrain features go? I like ditches, I like drainages, and I like interior edges, and I like gaps. So I, I want to pick all those apart. <laughs> can, can I get you to clarify sure. something before I'll, we before we do this? Uh, okay. What's okay. in your like explaining the ditches and the drainages because I hear those used interchangeably. Um, what's the what's the big difference? A drainage is basically a, what I call like it's something really big. You know, like you know, you've got two big ridges and there's a big drainage that splits them. You know. A ditch is more like a, what I call a secondary point. It's it's like a secondary small ridge coming off of a mother ridge, and I call that in between those. I call that a little ditch. Okay, so it's kind of like That's what we I call a draw. Or yeah, something. like a, yeah, a draw yeah. or a valley or something like that. Okay, yeah. and then a gap. I guess you're. Uh, could you explain a gap? So gaps. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of things that can create a gap. So. Uh, I mentioned interior edges, like sometimes on a big ridge, you'll have like a belt of uh, thick cover, uh, like huckleberries or greenbriars or just a thicket. It just, it's a belt that goes across a main ridge. And if you can find an opening that splits that, I mean, it may not be, but 30 yards wide, it might be 50 or hundred yards wide. But if you can find a, an area where it's a little bit thinner, and less stems per acre versus the rest of it those deer like to take the least resistance and i call those gaps interesting because when you say gap the first thing my brain goes to is like a bluff gap uh you know yeah so i don't know that's that, interesting that's another, that's another really good that's another really good uh terrain feature right there is a bluff line gap yeah 
it's it's basically the same thing except uh, the gaps that I'm talking about are openings and thick cover. Now back to that when you was trying to explain that, are you talking about that belt goes the length of the ridge or it goes over like the spine of the ridge? It, it can do both. Okay. It can do both. Uh, most of the ones that I hunt is like it, it goes like a like a T, like a cross section across a ridge. Okay. Sometimes you'll find some that are uh, that run along the side of a ridge. And if you can find a gap that if it's running along the side of the ridge and there's an opening, they'll they'll walk that edge and that's an interior edge. They'll walk that edge and they'll go they'll travel through that gap into a ditch and then cross over that way. And that's good ambush that's good ambush spots and and that's mainly how I hunt is ambush uh, spot. So, all right. So there's a lot there and I, I want to piece all those apart and, and really get into how you find them and how you hunt them and what they look like on the ground. Jacob, what do you want to go into first over there? Well, there, there's a lot. There's, the, the mastermind behind this podcast. Yeah, no, there's, there's a lot, you know, one thing, Rusty, just from talking to you previously was again, the lack of focusing on not only saddles, but also benches, you know, and that's another terrain feature that nobody heard you say is like, Hey, you didn't say anything about benches. What's your take on benches? Because I find that very, very interesting. Uh, I will run game cameras on benches, and they're you know a lot of time they'll use benches for you know scrape lines. You'll find scrape lines and stuff on benches, but I hardly ever hunt a bench unless unless a bench is intersected by either a ditch or a small drainage or, or one of those gaps. You know, if it's got a thick, I might hunt that portion of a bench, but just hunting benches i i don't even i, I don't hunt them so there's got to be some kind of compounding feature something to add more value to it yeah yeah, awesome. yeah kind of like i mentioned in the very beginning i'm looking for something that's going to influence a deer uh, you know if he's walking through there something that's going to turn him or influence him to go a different direction now, or be- lead him to a certain spot now before we get too much in the weeds rusty i want to ask you this you know I've heard the Ozarks being a very, very challenging place to hunt. Not only just hunt, but bow hunt. And I know you're a big time bow hunter. I am a big time bow hunter and the Ozarks can be very, very difficult. I was humbled. I mean, when I, when I was growing up, you could go out and kill deer. I mean, I mean, just at a drop of a hat up here, it is, it can be very difficult. It is, it can get you down. It can frustrate you, but you've got to have a positive attitude when you're hunting these the mature deer up here. So you have more of a rewarding, I guess it's a little bit more rewarding. I, I would say probably up there than probably where you had hunted kind of growing up before you shifted your, you know, your kind of whole life and family, everybody up to the North uh, West portion of Arkansas. But one thing I wanted to get into was the idea of um, just how you've been able to pick stuff apart with these terrain features. There's a lot to this. And again, the way you kind of go about scouting it, because one thing I've noticed by scouting aerial scouting, the Ozarks, and again, I got a brother is hunting up there is just how noticeable some of these terrain features can be with a good mapping system, but also how much that I know you've talked about, especially when it comes to these interior uh, edges, which we'll talk about a little bit later, I think, you can don't pick those up on a map. You can't pick those up on an aerial map. That's a lot of boots on the ground. Uh, so that's going to be, a, I kind of think, a big factor for you. One thing I think you've told me about, which I'll, I think you can discuss a little bit more, is just how much time do you spend in the woods? Because that's become a huge trending, I'd say, topic with all the really successful guests we've had is they all spend a ton of time in the woods. They really know a good lay of the land, and they understand when and where they need to be to be successful uh, come season. I spend a lot of time in the woods, probably too much. <laughs> Uh, according to my wife, but uh, yes, I spend a lot of time in the woods. 
uh, even in the off season, you know, summertime, um, I'm out there all the time, but especially like in the wintertime, postseason, uh, I'm out there shed hunting, uh, and I spend a lot of time out there, and I walk a lot of miles, a lot of miles. And on the, I mean, you mentioned not being able to see some of those from aerials. Some of some of these I'm talking about, there is, you know, we've got mainly hardwoods up here, but there are pockets of pines, and where the pines meet the hardwoods, you can find some really unique and interesting spots where those pines meet up with the hardwoods and it really influences deer movement. Excellent. Well, let's, I want to talk about, I want to dive right into this, talking about drainages. Um, you know, you're a guy, I'll say one of the first guys I've talked to that really likes to hunt drainages. And there's a part with this that I want to save for a little bit later on, uh, about conditions and when you like to hunt them that I found very interesting. Uh, but can you talk a little bit like, why do you like drainages again? And, and what is the approach to hunting a drainage? And then we'll kind of move over to one of the ditches and a kind of like a ditch funnel. Yeah. Uh, well, they kind of go hand in hand, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, a big drainage is going to have, you know, ditches coming into it. It's going to have, uh, you know, it could have tributaries. Uh, it could be a main creek and you'd have small creeks running into it. Or, you know, and they're not running year round, but they're more steep, steep ditches that run into a drainage. And I usually will not hunt in the bottom of a drainage. I'll, I'll pick one of those ditches and, and I'll go up about halfway. And, you know, sometimes that might be a couple hundred yards and sometimes it might be a quarter of a mile, you know. But I like to get in that middle, in that middle. And it's uh, a lot of people won't do that because you're hunting some pretty steep stuff sometimes, and uh, it can be very uh, challenging. And you probably are not going to see quite as many deer as you would hunting traditional spots. But these mature deer, I mean, a lot of times if you if you're walking through the woods and and you're trying to cross down into a, a big ditch or a drainage to get to another ridge, and while you're crossing that, a lot of times have you ever noticed? you know, rubs that is on really steep ground. I don't know if you've ever noticed that or not, but up here, uh, you when you cross those things, you'll notice rubs and they're like, man, that, that buck was on some steep ground rubbing that tree right there, you know. Well, they use those ditches and those drainages. And I, I try to I try to hunt a, a drainage that's got these ditches that's coming off and I hunt those smaller ditches coming off of a main drainage that's a lot that's a lot but so how how are you choosing which one of those you're going to hunt just uh a lot of time it's process of elimination i mean i do run a lot of cameras uh and if i if i locate a buck it's i can just narrow it down and but a lot of it is process of elimination i mean You'll find more sign in some drainages and ditches than others. And of course, you want to focus where the most sign is. This podcast is supported by Hunting Exchange. Now, Hunting Exchange, if you haven't heard, is an app for iOS and Android that is your one-stop shop to buy and sell all of your used hunting equipment. Now, the great thing about this, especially as a buyer, you can go on there and find some great deals on used equipment from other outdoorsmen from across the country. One great thing you go on there, unlike social media platforms like what you would find on, say, like Facebook, you can actually go on Hunting Exchange and find some great deals on bows, tree stands, saddles, technical apparel, knives, broadheads, the whole nine yards. 
parts, really. One great thing about it is, again, it's secured and supported by PayPal. So when you go on, all your purchases are insured through PayPal. So you can buy with confidence. Now, the great thing is also as a seller, you can go on there and be a part of a great network of other outdoorsmen and be able to go on and sell whatever gear you'd like and be able to reach more people without having to worry about being banned or blocked on social media platforms like what we see on Facebook. Again, it's a great place to go, purchase your gear, and also connect with other outdoorsmen across the country. Deer season is almost here, so if you haven't went and checked out Hasmore Outdoor Products, I don't know what you're doing. Hasmore is the maker of the Silent Seat, which is an awesome little accessory that will replace the seat on your climber to make you more lightweight, mobile, and quiet. But that's not all they make. They've also got a whole bunch of other stuff for your tree stand to help you get ready for the season, whether it be a bow holder, stabilizer straps, or a tree stand packing system, which I know you climber guys are going to want. Well, go to Hasmore and check out what they got. Let's show them some support going into this deer season, guys. So head over to hasmore.net and use the promo code SO15 for 15% off. All right, so you say you're a fan of the Southern Outdoorsman podcast and you love the show. You tell all your buddies, you might even leave us a review on iTunes, but you're not rocking Southern Outdoorsman merch. What's going on? Now, you can fix that today. Just head on over to our website, southernoutdoorsman.com forward slash shop. You can check out the new t-shirts, new decals, and everything else we have on the website. Or better yet, you can click the link in the show notes below and go directly to the website from there. Love to see you in the Southern Outdoorsman merch. Thank you guys for the support. And what about um, your elevation? Like what's keying you in on the right elevation? Because that elevation, it can really, you know, vary wildly. Yeah, uh, I kind of uh, compare it to like bass fishing. And I think Jacob and I talked about this a little bit. Uh, when you're bass fishing and you're looking at that graph, and a lot of times you're looking at that uh, terrain, you're trying to find that thermal where those bass are hanging out. And I kind of compare that to hunting those bucks. I just, through pro, I, I move around a lot. I'm real mobile. And through process of elimination, I'll find the right elevation to where I think I can intercept one of those bucks. The low, it seems like the lower the elevation, uh, the more night movement you see. I don't know if that makes sense, if that makes sense or not, but it, it just seems like they're in the bottom of those drainages more at night than they are during the daylight. So I, I don't hunt the very bottom, but I don't hunt the very top either. I find a, I try to find a happy medium and you'll see crossings on these ditches. And I usually try to key in on the crossings that, that's the higher elevation, closer to the top. So are you hunting in the actual ditch or are you hunting, are you walking off of the ditch up onto the steep slope and hunting? Uh, both, I, I definitely, I, I access my hunting spot right through the middle of the ditch but there a ditch is, is a broad term it can be a u-shape it could be a v those u-shaped on those bucks will walk right up that right up the middle of it in the bottom of it a lot of times and i'll get above that so you're i mean it's pretty steep i hunt some pretty steep places like steep enough where you uh sit on the ground on the side of the hill or are you still getting in a tree you could i, st I still hunt out of a stand but you, you could sit on the ground very easily like I said uh, before, outside the box, I'm hunting some very unconventional spots, some places that other people wouldn't even think about hunting. Now, in these scenarios, because, I'm sorry, go ahead. Just, just because a lot of times, just because of how steep it is, I've I've had some pretty awkward uh, shots. I mean, some pretty hard <laughs> angled shots, you know, at, at some bucks. Now, are are most of the people accessing from the top, or can they access from the bottom? Uh they they can access from the top or the bottom 
uh, I usually uh, access from the bottom when I'm accessing. And I'll, I'll go to my spot right up the middle, right up the middle of a ditch or a drainage, a small one. Now, I, I want to talk about this, talking about the access, because I've been looking at the maps up there a lot, uh, just with where my brother's hunting, and it is crazy elevation change. When I say crazy, mm-hmm. you know, we live in central, you know, we live in central Alabama, we hunt all over in, in the southeast, but... You know, I've never been in a place and hunted for whitetails where there's eight, nine hundred feet of elevation change, like from the bottom of a drainage to the top of the ridge, eight, nine hundred feet. And I'm like, yep. hold. And it's and it's not. Sometimes it's more gradual, and then other times it is like over, you know, three hundred yards. It's changing eight hundred feet of elevation. I mean, it looks wild. And again, yep. some of these guys that listen to the podcast, probably from Virginia and, and Western uh, North Carolina, are probably like, oh man, that's a joke, dude. Easy there. But it's just crazy when you're coming from where we're at, rolling hills to go to look at that stuff. But the, what I, what I'm trying to bring up is the access point of coming in from the bottoms, coming up to some spots, versus coming in off the top, dropping into them. You know, you mentioned that when you're hunting these ditches, you really like to come in from the bottom. First off, you know, what is the reasoning behind that? You know, does that change versus uh, mornings or evenings? Like, what are some of those factors for, you know, entering and exiting one of those areas? Um, it, it all depends. I mean, you know, some of these public management areas up here have a lot of roads in them. And uh, a lot of times you can park and walk in from the bottom and sometimes i mean i'm not going to walk like four miles out of the way you know to to access a spot if i can access it closer and i think that i can slip in undetected but most of the spots that i'm hunting i try to find access coming from the bottom and i don't really have a particular reason like in the mornings or evenings i don't have a particular reason why i do that but I do like walking right up the middle at the very bottom if I can. A lot of times there's a lot of blowdowns and stuff, and you have to crawl in and over a lot of blowdowns in the bottom. But especially the steeper ones, a, a buck is not going to walk right through the bottom, so he's not going to smell your trail you know, if he's a third of the way up on the side. So I'll, I'll go to right to where I want to hunt, and then I'll make a 90 degree and then walk up straight up to the tree that I'm going to put my stand in. Perfect. So I want you to talk about the difference in buck movement in these areas um, and, and just the reason why they may be traveling through there. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, in these areas that you're hunting in the Ozarks, what does bedding look like from, because I know you scout a whole bunch. I know you, you, you find a lot of deer sheds and stuff like that. What does bedding look like in the mountains and how does that play a factor on these ditches? It's it's a lot different than I think than uh, a lot of other places. There's not, there's very few places that you can say this is a bedding area. Uh, in these mountains, I mean, if a buck gets tired, he's going to lay down and rest. You know, I mean, when they're when they're uh, a bedding area in these mountains, I would say you know they like to bed on some pretty steep ground, like on the sides of these ditches and stuff, and the sides of these drainages are on a bluff line. I found a lot of beds on bluff lines. Uh, and I found a lot of beds at the end of secondary points. You'll have a big ridge going down through there. Then you'll have a finger that goes off that ridge. And at the at the end of it, they like bedding on the end of it, on the end of those fingers. But I mean, there's not really, uh, most of the places I hunt, there's not a defined bedding area. There's not, 
really a place that I, I would walk in and say, this is a defined, this is a defined bedding area. They're going to feed and they're going back to the same spot every time. It's real sporadic up here in my experience. So that being said, you said they like to bed on that steeper ground. When you see them bedding mm-hmm. around ditches, you know, what does that look like from what you've seen and what you've experienced with bucks? I mean, what kind of cover, you know, are they want to stay in or is it mostly open woods that are just bedding on the side of these steep, these steep ravines? It's, it's both. Uh, a good example is I find a lot of beds by, by blowdowns, uh, you know, trees that's fallen. It may just be a log and they like to, I don't know why, they like to get up next to a log or if there's a blowdown on steep ground or whatever, or a big rock. You know, uh, I found a lot of it. We have a lot of big rocks, you know, and they'll bed in those rocks. That's interesting. I heard I heard another gentleman talk about um, having them bed in, in the same area of the country that you're in, in the Ozarks up there, uh, catching bucks bedding at the base of a bluff or like a bluff wall and kind of putting their back oh. up against it um, and, and kind of watching down over the drainage or wherever yep. they might be bedded in above. Yep. Th- they will do that, but they'll also be really close to an escape route. They'll have, they'll have an escape route really close to where they're, they may be bedding on a shelf that's right next to a steep bluff, but if you'll look really close, they, they've got a, a, an escape route really close. That's one thing I was going to mention earlier when you are talking about <clears throat> them using those bluffs. Um, I've never really found them if there's not an escape route. Like it, 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 It's almost like they always want to be bedded near that escape route. I, I would say, I mean, 99% of the time, you look at it really close and it is going to be, there will be an escape route really close to where they're bedding. So I want to talk a little bit more about these drainages uh, and these ditch uh, funnels and everything else. So depending on whether it's a U shaped, which is more of a gradual shaped um, drainage ditch kind of going across it, um, or it's more V shaped where it's a lot steeper and it has a very kind of defined point at the bottom. You know, you talked about, again, depending on whether it's U-shape or V-shape, how the bucks are going to travel, whether they're going to be down directly in the ditch coming up and down it, or they're going to be side-hilling. You know, when that plays a factor, you know, what was some of your learning curves when you started hunting the mountains and started trying to key in on these features? First off, why did you start keying in on drainages? And then also, when did you start having success doing so, noticing this movement? Well, I mean, when I first moved up here, I mean, I just went and hunted saddles and everything like, like everybody else. And... At that time, my dad was up here, was living up here, and uh, he's the one that kind of put me on that. He said, "He said, son, you need to look." He said, "You." He said, "You need to get away from where everybody's going." He said, "Don't listen to everybody, what they're saying, you know, to hunt saddles and stuff." He said, "You need to start thinking on your own. Go out there and try to figure these deer out." He said, "Look for terrain that is going to to influence their travel." And he said it's gonna. He said it could be something really simple. And one of the things that he showed me was uh, like you, you'll have a ditch, and then you'll have like a just a really small. Ditch. It may not be, but thirty or forty yards. It's just a depression. I, I wouldn't even really call it a ditch. It's just a little depression, but it, it's just a just a hump coming off of that ditch. And he said, "Where do you think that deer is going to go?" I, he said, "You think he's going to go down in that and come up, or?" He said, it's only 30 yards long. He said, they're going to go right around the tip of it. And he said, look at that. Look at the tip of that little depression right there. And he said, 30 yards can make all the difference. And I started looking at just small stuff. Like it, it's it's just really simple stuff. Just small things like that that can influence a deer 
to try to draw it into a small spot. And I started, and I've killed two or three really good bucks by following his advice on that. I've got to ask you this. How does the deer movement change between like mature bucks and does around drainages? Like, are they using the same trails or is it something different? Like, what are you keying in on? Oh, uh, and I learned that. I learned that also. Um, a lot of times uh, in the mountains, you'll see a really beat out trail. They've walked this trail so much that it's almost a little shelf. You'll see they've walked it so much that it's kind of made a little depression in the side of a steep hill. Uh, and I, I mean, I hunted those things and hunted them. I seen a lot of deer coming down those trails and I hunted them, hunted them. And I'm like, man, there, there's just something wrong. There's gotta be something different. I, I'm just not seeing the more mature deer, you know, and a mature deer, to me, a mature deer, I consider four year old in these public areas, a four year old to me is a mature deer. But I mean, I, I just racked my brain trying to think there's got to be something different. And I got to looking really, really close and it's real hard to see, but usually about, I don't know, probably it, it varies, but below, and it's almost always below that main trail, you'll see a really dim trail. And I talked about this a little bit with on the other podcasts I was on, but you'll, you'll notice a really dim trail and it's almost always, I'd say, 80% of the time, it's below the main trail. So I started hunting that dim trail, and I'm not saying you're going to see one every single time. I mean, you have to really be patient. But that mature buck, I'd say 80% of the time, is going to use that dim trail. He's more of a loner. He's not going to stay with the pack. He's more of a loner, and he, he will use that dim trail. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, last year I put a camera out for several weeks on one of the really good morning trails, just like you're talking about. I mean, it's about a foot wide. It's a couple inches deep, and it's just cutting up through the hillside right there because of the steep terrain. And I think a lot of people could get thrown off by that uh, just because you have to realize that that trail is that worn in because uh, that you know, is usually the path of least resistance and it's worn in and it can be misleading. You may think deer must be going through this thing all the time, but it's been there for so long that it's just well-established and I only had one doe come through there two times within like three weeks. Um, but you would have thought like a whole herd of buffalo were coming through that trail. Yeah, that that and it took me a long time to figure that out. I mean, that goes back to, you know, spending time in the woods and, and putting the hours in in the stand and observing and just really thinking and trying to think outside the box. Because, I mean, you got a picture of a couple of does. I mean, there's got to be something. There's got to be something different uh, that that buck is using. And, you know, a lot of times I found those trails are hard to find because, I mean, they are really dim. I mean, they're you just almost cannot just walk through the woods and just say, oh, there it is. I mean, you really got to look hard for these right here. What other things are you keying in on when you're, when you're looking at a, um, a ditch or a drainage that's telling you this mature, this mature buck is probably coming through this area, especially maybe, maybe you're running trail cameras in the area. Maybe you're not. I mean, are you keying in off rubs, tracks? Like what other things are you picking up on that kind of confirm what you're thinking? Yeah. Rubs and tracks. Now up here, you know, with all the leaves and stuff on the ground in these mountains, tracks are really hard to uh, first distinguish the size. I mean, you'll see them punched in the leaves and stuff, but it's, it's real. I'm looking for that big track. And uh, I mean, sometimes it's almost impossible to find 
because of that forest floor is just littered with, you know, leaves and stuff like that. But I do look for those tracks. And when you uh, cross a ditch, a lot of times uh, when it comes to rain, the erosion, you know, comes through there and it'll open up some open areas, you know, in the bottom of that ditch and these deer cross that ditch. That's where you'll find the tracks in, in those open areas, like after a rain or something. And rubs, rubs also. Now, also, can you talk a little bit more about the setup when you're setting up uh, on a ditch? Because it's just, there's so much to this that, again, I haven't discussed before with another guest previously, because I haven't met somebody that really hunts ditches like you, uh, to be honest, uh, at least not in this area, not in this kind of area, this kind of habitat and this kind of size. Um, when you're setting up for, you know, hunting that more dim trail that's coming around one of these drainages or one of these ditches, do you want to be above it? Do you want to be below it? Like, what is your setup normally for the stain and how you want to pick your tree? That's that's really a, a good point. And uh, in the mornings, I like to be above it. And in the evenings, I like to be below it. And the reason uh, why I do it that way is basically the thermals. Uh, I don't really, I mean, the wind up here swirls so much. I mean, the wind can come over a little, a little hump and hit a, a, a stale uh, mass of air and, and it'll just swirl on you. So I don't really pay a lot of attention to that, but I do pay a little bit of attention to thermals. And I'd say almost 100% of the time in the mornings, I'll hunt above that dim trail. And in the evenings, I'll hunt below it. But when you hunt below it, you got to be extremely careful because sometimes uh, you'll be almost eye level with him. So I'll get behind that. When I set my stand up, I'll definitely have my stand behind that tree where I have the tree between me and where I think he's coming from just for camouflage. Cause I mean, they will, they will pick you off in a heartbeat. That, that brings up the next question is how do you like to position yourself where like when you're set up on a ditch, where are you looking to expect the deer? Like, are you, you're not facing up the ditch. Are you facing back down towards the, the, the bottom of the drainage and looking left and right? How do you want to set up? Well, most of the time when I'm hunting a ditch, most of the time I'm hunting across them. So, uh, I like, I like to have where I think that now these deer will surprise, they'll come from anywhere. And they'll, I mean, they'll surprise you sometimes where they come from. I mean, you can give it your best guess, but I, most of the time I like to have the tree in between me and where I think that deer is coming from, you know, when I'm setting up. Is that what you were asking? Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, also what I was asking is if you're on a ditch, so say this ridge runs east to west, okay. And you got a ditch mm -hmm. that's running right, you know, from south to north up on this, up mm -hmm. on this ridge. Are you looking, are you facing north? Are you facing, you know, east kind of side hill, watching the side of one ridge? Are you facing back down the way you came from so you could watch both left and right? How do you kind of want to position that way or the way you I, think I kinda, it? Mm -hmm. I'll either face it northeast, northwest. I won't never face it directly north or directly south. It'll always either be a northeast, a northwest, southeast, or southwest. It'll be at an angle. Like a quarter Almost position. Yeah, a quarter position, yes. Absolutely, perfect. Almost, almost every time. That's why I was wondering, because the one thing I could see as being an issue is setting up and getting busted, just shifting a little bit because it's so steep. And if that deer is coming in and he can see from 80 yards away as he's coming through some thicker brush, you know, and picking you out in that tree, especially in the hardwoods, I can see that being a huge issue, not being able to lay eyes on him before he sees you. Yeah, you don't want to silhouette yourself for sure. Uh, you want to have, you want to try to pick you some good back cover uh, I'm notorious for hunting out of really small trees. I get, I catch a lot of flack from, uh, my buddy Dalton and my son Rustin for it because, or uh, Rustin, he's like, 
350 pounds, so he, <laughs> he can't <laughs> have a little tree. He'd just be rocking up there. But I'm really notorious. Uh, even when I go and hunt in the Midwest, I, I like hunting out of little bitty tree. Most of the time, it ends up being a little bitty tree because of uh, where it's located. Where it's located. I mean, I'm not against hunting out of a big tree, and it'll it'll help your blend. It'll blend you in, but I'm notorious for hunting out of little bitty trees. Cruiser Saddles is the newest addition to companies supporting this podcast. Cruiser is the maker of saddles and saddle hunting gear. Uh, me and Jacob actually met Chad, the owner, at our Bozenbrews event in March of 2020. We were demoing a lot of different saddles there from a lot of different companies, and he showed up with his products, which were brand new at the time, and everybody there was extremely impressed with him, including me and Jacob. We ended up getting some of the saddles for this past hunting season and used them all year from, basically, we started hunting in August and hunted until February. No complaints. Really liked them. The durability was there. The comfort was there. The wearability was there, you know, walking in and out to the stand. So we're very impressed. You can go back to some of the episodes from last year and actually hear us, you know, live through the season talking about these things. We talked about them a lot in the podcast from last year's season. Just really impressed, and we think you would like them too. So go to their website and check them out. We ran the XC. Orders ship the same day or next day unless otherwise indicated. And you get free shipping on orders over $300. We really appreciate Cruiser for supporting this show. You guys go show them some support as well. This podcast is supported by Mark's Outdoors. If you're from around Birmingham, you know of a, a staple in the hunting community here, and that would be Mark's Outdoors. They've been in business in the same location for over 40 years, family-owned and operated, and they have a reputation for being one of the best bow shops in the southeast. As we inch closer and closer to deer season, if you haven't already, it's time to dust off that bow and make sure that she's ready to roll for this hunting season. Go stop by Mark's Outdoors and check out their archery counter with Mark and Robbie, two guys I've known for years, excellent bow techs. They've worked on my bow since I started bow hunting. They got all the knowledge and accessories that you need to get ready to rock for this bow season. While you're in there, also make sure you check out their gun counter. They got a ton of nice rifles for everything from AR platforms to nice deer rifles and a bunch of nice shotguns as well. They also have one of the best knife selections in Alabama. I mean, really nice stuff. All kinds of custom knives in there and their ammo selection is just unbeatable as well. We're thrilled to have Mark's Outdoors on board and we thank them for supporting the podcast. Now we're going to ask you guys to go support them. Whoa, 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 guys. Hold on now. You've been listening to a lot of our content, getting a lot of free content lately. If you've been listening to the show for quite some time and enjoy the show, one way you can help support us is join our Patreon. Uh, if you join the Patreon account, you get access to all kinds of content, including GPS studies, giveaways, and videos. Now click the link in the show notes below and join the Patreon today. Now when you're hunting the really, really steep, like the V-cut uh, ditches, are you positioning yourself in the middle of it or are you still, are you getting up on the side? No, I'm on the side. Okay, so do you do yep. that with both the U-shaped and the V-shaped? I do, but I'll hunt uh, where I've got a shot to the – if it's a U-shaped ditch, I will position to where I will have a shot to the bottom of it. One of the biggest – one of the – well, the biggest deer that my dad has ever killed, he killed it walking right down the middle of a U-shaped ditch. He was walking right down the middle of it. No, I, I'm uh, hold on. Andrew, Andrew wants to. Tra- he, he already showed me what he wants to change. Hey, to can I got a? I got another question. Yeah, okay, uh, okay, just tell I, me when I, you're ready. More. So, Jeez, tell me when you're ready. We, when you're hunting these ditches, uh, do you? You said you try to be able to. Oh, sorry. You, yeah. you said you try to get it to where you can shoot to the bottom. Uh, I know on a lot yep. of these V shapes, that the deer will skirt it. 
you know, the middle of it and kind of go up, you know, side hilling right there. Um, yeah, they will. And they could go from one side or they could be on one side or the other side. Do you make it to where mm-hmm. you can shoot to the other side where that trail is on the other side? Sometimes, uh, sometimes I do. Uh, if it's a small enough ditch, I like setting up for really close shots. I don't like taking long shots. But uh, yes, I will sometimes set up. Of course, I'm trying to I'm trying to hunt where deer's crossing that crossing that ditch a lot of times, probably half the time. So you know, I, I would like to have a shot to the other side, but also uh, hunting these ditches, you run into the situation where it's really thick cover. And sometimes you just don't have a shot to the other side. But I almost always, in a U-shape, try to get it to where I've got a shot to the bottom. Um, another question, percentage-wise, like if we had that east-to-west ridge and the ditches going north to south, how much do you see the movement going east-to-west versus north to south? Um, you said a north-to-south ridge? Uh, north-to-south ditch, the, okay. the ridge is going east-to-west, so like... They could be traveling around the same elevation, or they could be going up and down in elevation. What percentage do you see? Do you see about half and half, or do you see one more than the other? Um, most of the travel I see is when they're crossing ditches. Sometimes they'll they'll skirt up through there, but most I'd say over half the time they're crossing that ditch. So whatever the cross, if it's east and west to go across that ditch, that's where I see most of the movement, especially the bucks especially the buck. Uh, so they're, they're like traveling down the side oh of these my. ridges and they just cross that at that certain point. You're trying to catch them crossing that certain point going across that ditch. Yeah, those, those bucks love taking shortcuts. If, it, if it's a shorter distance, like if they seen uh, a doe, if they're traveling, and I mean, if they see a doe or something, I mean, they'll take off. I've seen them cross some steep, steep stuff. One of my favorite hunts, um, and not the biggest buck I've ever killed, but one of my favorite hunts, I mean, he come up a so I, I never even dreamed he would come up something that steep, but he did. Well, let me, I want to ask you this, because this is something I've been interested in. When you're dealing with these such these big drainages, and sometimes and sometimes the drainages might be really small, these ditches might be fairly small, but how often are you? is that buck truly walking down the exact trail that you're kind of set up on, or is he possibly 5, 10 yards off one way or the other? Yeah, he's usually off. He's usually off. I mean, it would be like, you know, You'd like you'd like for it to be like in a book for him to walk right down that trail, but the mature bucks, it's it hardly ever works out the way you got it planned. So so it's almost more like they're they're coming through at a certain elevation line or this elevation range that they're kind of crossing at. It's not like they're crossing at the same trail every time, but it's like a mature buck's gonna be at a certain elevation along you know below all those other deer that are kind of coming through there uh, when yeah. he's coming through. What's up, Mike? So this is when you're. When you're explaining this, you're talking about just off of the trail that's really worn in that the does are using, or the faint trail. The faint trail. Okay. See, that, I think that, that's, that's that's what I'm talking. Okay, about. I thought you were talking about the other. See them on the main trail. I don't even hardly see them on the main trail yeah. at all. Right. Yeah, I was talking about the the faint trail. How often you see them on the faint trail, or just off it. But that okay. makes sense again because you know every buck's a little yeah. bit different. He's taking his own little path. So if there's a, I guess. Probably the only time you might would see him on that same trail if the if the terrain was really really rough. I'm guessing, and it was only that one narrow spot they could come through. I'll, I'll throw another little wrench in there just for some food for thought. Is uh, this is mostly mid morning to midday movement that I'm seeing. In the- Wait, what was that? Uh, well, get, off, get, get off your phone, <laughs> well, bud. No. My phone buzzed. Uh, no, so uh, we'll, we'll say that again. You said say, most of it yes, was midday or say mid-morning. It again. Yes. Most, of it is, most of it is mid-morning, which I would call around 
nine thirty, ten o'clock until about one or two o'clock in the evening. My man, I, I was gonna say, say <laughs> I was gonna say, say it again for the people in the back because Michael's in the back, not paying attention at that point. <laughs> that's 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 my favorite time to hunt. Now, do you find that relating to the moon? It is by far my favorite time to hunt. Yeah, uh, and no, I, I do not pay attention to the moon whatsoever. Okay. Um, God, Michael. <laughs> All right. Uh, you a moon, are you a moon guy? Oh yeah, I, I'm straight up a moon guy, but I, I'm a midday guy over, overall. But, but I, I will say this: I will say this. I do believe the moon uh, does influence uh, movement. Yeah, I do believe that. But I don't. I don't pay attention to it. All right. I hunt all the time. Yeah. yeah. But I, I mean, anybody that knows me will tell. If if you ask them a, a, a trait that I have. Uh, they were, they'll all tell you that I'm the most patient person that you'll ever meet when it comes to deer hunting. I mean, I am patient. I mean, I will sit there all day long and not see a deer, but there's going to be that one minute, and you better be there when it happens. Now, can I ask you a question? Because one thing I've noticed a lot of mountain hunters do is they're, they're very, uh, I guess they will hunt the same stand over and over. Do you do that to make sure that you're you're there when they do come through that area? Um, I will tell you this: I have I have killed multiple deer out of the exact same tree. Uh, as far as like you're talking about, like within the season. Yeah, like say like, you've got like, like a right, you got like a week block, and you're there like four or five days in a row. I will do. I will do that quite often. Okay, I sure will. You took my fire, man. That's exactly what I was going to ask. Is it today. really? Yeah, I was going to say. Hey, why are you reading my questions, Mike? Jeez, hey. Mike's over here uh, looking over my you. shoulder and just uh, re- reading questions. <laughs> I'll yeah. say this. Will say this though. I will hunt that tree back to back days. But if I out of that tree, if I observe something that I think I can make a move on, I will do it in a heartbeat. I, I mean, I will climb down right then. Uh, and I will move. It, it, it may not be 40 or 50 yards. I'll move, set up again, and, and be sitting in the tree just like that. I'll move. So, Rusty, that's – yeah, hold on my easy there. No, so that was something I was going to bring up is a lot of the mountain hunters that I've talked to and like what Michael's saying is they're very consistent. They know an area. It's a really good funnel, whether we're talking like a ditch like this or whatever. They have confidence in it, and it might take them, as I've heard other mountain hunters tell me, these bucks are almost like on a long marathon, and they're not just going – from bed to food, bed to food, they're going on this huge loop with this runabout and it might be three or four days before he's back. And if you miss him, you might miss him for another week or so. So that's one reason why these guys in these low deer density areas will hunt the same spot multiple times in a row. They don't even care about the wind all that much. It seems like, and they kill these bucks because they come through there at a certain time. Yeah, that is, that's a a fact. I will do that. I think it's like a good, uh, a good way to look at it is like, you got like city people, who are in this tight little area and they're like, you know, very, very consistent in this little confined area. And then you got people that live out in the country. Like they're just, you know, they may only go to Walmart, you know, like a one time a week or something like that. And you just, if he was, if he was hunting them, you'd have to make sure he was there for, you know, a good, a good few days. So (laughs) I like that analogy. Well, that was Rusty. That was, it may shock you how far some of these deer travel, even in the summertime. I mean, I've been shocked, especially summertime stuff, you know, trying to track these deer, you know, get get game camera pictures of them. It will shock you how far they will go. Well, let me ask and, you. And another thing that I, that I firmly believe in is 
these, these mature bucks are really individuals. I mean, you may get one that may respond to calling. You may get one that is will not respond to calling at all. They're really, some of them are passive. Some of them are aggressive. I mean, they have, they really have a personality. And I've noticed that a lot. Well, the one thing about in the mountains, and again, kind of like what you're talking about, how you mentioned early on in this podcast that you're extremely mobile, but on the flip side, when you're in the right spot at the right time of year, you have no issue locking it down for a few days and, and hunting it until you know that you've had your opportunity at whatever's going to be coming through. I actually did that last year. I actually did that last year. The buck I killed last year, I mean, I locked in on him and I knew he was there and I knew he was gonna I knew he was gonna make a mistake and I was in the right spot and I knew that and oh Clay Newcomb, he was texting me every day in that stand. He's like, Are you still in the same spot? And I'm like, Yeah. He said, You're just gonna wait him out, ain't you? And I'm like, Yeah, I'm gonna wait him out. <laughs> and finally I finally got him. But it, it took uh it's either five or six days. It took five or six days. I killed him on November the 4th. So it took like five or six days, but I finally got him. So let's walk through that hunt then. Cause I, I, I really want to talk about that, um, about how that patience can play a huge factor when you're dealing in an area again, like this, that has a lower deer density than what you're going to find down in the bottoms or in the kind of hill country, uh, because it's the yeah. lack of diversity. I think one thing before you talk about it, one thing you told me early on when we talked uh, last week was the aspect of the lack of browse, uh, in these areas. And you're telling me you're they're they're feeding on sugar maples and, and, and the dogwoods, I'm like, I've never noticed that down here ever because we just have so much browse in our part of the country. I'm telling you, dogwoods is a is something that they are eating like crazy. You know, I think I sent you some pictures of some of those little small dogwood trees that are just stripped. They absolutely love dogwoods. Absolutely love them. And they also like uh, sugar maples too. When that leaf turns uh, red or whatever color it'll turn, uh, it that it transfers into sugar it's it's a sweet and they'll pick those red leaves up i've seen it a million times they'll pick them right up off the ground and eat them things like crazy i mean it's not going to be like i wouldn't say it's like a like a like a feed tree or anything like that it's not going to be like a a white oak or a red oak dropping and they're going to come to it a lot but if a if a deer a deer knows where those sugar maples are i guarantee you and they will come by there and they'll pick up a few leaves almost every time. I know I've heard uh, some people off the hunting beast uh, say that, but I think theirs were golden. These were northern guys. I'm not sure where where exactly that occurs at, uh, but I, I do know that there was a lot of people, a lot of talk on those uh, when they get that first, I guess, frost or something like that. Maybe the the sugar content changes and yep. and they just it hit does. them. Yeah, they also like uh, sumac. Uh, they really love sumac. And they also like honey locust. I'm sure you know that, but uh, yeah, they they love those. I mean, a deer a deer eats a lot of different things, but there's there's certain things uh, that I've observed over the years that I've seen them eat more than other things. I browse on just about anything, but those few things that I just mentioned, they absolutely love them. You know, it's especially dogwoods. You know, it's terrible. I totally forgot my main question. I was trying to ask before we get talking about browse. Thermal hubs. Thermal. Oh, okay, that was one of them. Okay, yeah, I'm just gonna jump into that one. All right, so Ru- Rusty, do you do you, <laughs> do you know the term or, or do you know the term of like a thermal hub or crow's foot or a bowl? That's what we used to call yeah. it. Okay. Yeah. H- how often, when it comes to you selecting, and I know a lot of this is because boots on the ground scouting, but if you're mm-hmm. selecting these drainages, if you have a thermal hub, which for people that are listening could look like some people call it a crow's foot, where you have like Mike. Well, Mike's got his mic. 
mic- microphone <laughs> off. Well, I hey, think it would be. Can you explain what larger scale? What you were talking about earlier, yeah. where all your ditches come in down there to the to the bottom of the draw or the bottom of the yeah. the drainage. That would be a thermal hub. But in in on your scale, you might could find like a you know a higher crow's foot, which is what Josh Driver referred to it as, one that you know is a lot higher in elevation, but typically the same thing. I'm actually going to roll the dice Saturday morning. I've got a buck found. He he's a mature. I don't know how old he is. Uh, he's he's a high one forties deer, a beautiful ten point. I'm get I'm getting ready to. He's a. It's in a new spot that I just recently found actually, and uh, I'm fixing to roll the dice on him. And, it, and it's just like what you're talking about. There's a bunch of ditches that kind of come together. It's like a thermal hub, and but there's a little flat. And I mean, I know the wind's going to be swirling in there, but I, but I'm going to. It's a new spot uh, that I've scouted, but I've only scouted it like two or three days. I went in, I saw it on a map, and I went in there and I stuck three cameras. I wish I could show it to you on on X, but I don't want to. It would give it away if I showed it to you. But uh, it's it's a very it's a unique spot. I wouldn't normally hunt it. But it's a new spot. I just want to. I just want to get in there because I mean, he's showing up on his camera. And I, I just know that I can kill him. Now, and this is this spot. Is this something that you're gonna be coming in from the bottom or coming in from the top? Uh, I will be coming in from a top, but I'll be dropping down to a creek and I'll be walking right down the middle of a creek. I'll have to wear not hip waders, but I'll have to wear some high rubber boots because I'm gonna walk right down the middle of this creek, and then I'm gonna go right up a creek bank. And I'm gonna get I'm gonna get in one of those spots where all these ditches and our draws or whatever you want to call them they're all coming into this one spot and it's kind of like a it's a it's just a growed up flat it's real heavy cover and it's it's like a flat but it's a little bit it's a higher elevation so I'm I'm going up that creek and then I'm climbing that creek bank and then I'll go it'll go up a little bit and then it's like a little flat in the kind of side of a mountain it's a it's kind of a i've never hunted anything like this before but you know i learn new stuff every day so i'm going to give it a shot this weekend and see if i can't uh put that one absolutely no that's interesting uh one thing that you yeah. brought one thing that you brought up uh early on and you just mentioned again was kind of the wind um you and me had a conversation about this last week and i found it very interesting um can you talk a little bit like what are your what is your experience dealing with swirling winds and everything in the mountains but also what kind of conditions are your favorite conditions to hunt in wind wise in the mountains uh i like uh and i don't know why maybe because of i've had a lot of success but i like hunting either a north or northwest wind uh that's my favorite uh, the fa- my favorite conditions, uh, I like to hunt right before a front comes in, and I like to hunt right after a front leaves. Of course, a lot of times when high pressure builds in, the barometer's going up, but I like right before a front and right after a front. And my favorite times to hunt is the last week in October and the first two weeks in November. That was actually one of the questions I was going to ask a little bit later, but I was yeah. going to ask, especially with those ditch, those ditches and stuff, is that something yeah. you can hunt any time of the year? Or is that something specifically like pre-rut rut time that you really like to hunt? I like to hunt them uh, like I would say the last two weeks of October and the first week of November, maybe going into the second week of November. That's when I really key in 
And that's when I've killed most of my best bucks. So you're pretty much trying to catch them on their feet while they're really cruising right before that rut really kicks off. Because y'all's rut's like November 12th, 15th, something like that. Like yeah, it's some, it's somewhere along there. I'm trying to yeah, I'm trying to kill them before that. It's it's pre-rut and what I call the cruising stage where they're cruising. That's my favorite times. Is it's right before the rut. So back not to get us sidetracked but back to the question i was talking about with the wind one thing you told me was about light and variable days and how some of those ditches you don't like to hunt those ditches with a higher wind velocity but something with like light and variable for some reason yeah. it gets those bucks on those feet a lot more than you know a very strong wind day yeah I, I don't know how to explain that but uh just from things that i've observed over the years over a lot of years uh that's just what i've observed and i don't i don't know how to explain it but yeah that's what I like the most. I will hunt in high wind, though. I mean, I'm not afraid to hunt in high wind, but uh, most of my success has been light and variable. Let's see. This is something I wanted old Michael Pike to talk about. Light and variable days, you know, can be so fickle because you can have some lighter swirling winds. You because you really never know what could happen. Oh, okay. Well, oh, he, he's oh, pulling yeah. his finger Put up. His finger yeah. up. His finger up. He's, he's going to stop that, that conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. When you got elevation like you're talking about, those thermals really come into play, and I think that that's going to help you yeah. out tremendously. I mean, those thermals, like if you've got a really big mountainside that's collecting a lot of sun, I mean, those thermals can be just as strong as a good wind. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And just like I said earlier, you know, I pay attention in, in, in the way that I hunt, my, my style of hunting, I pay more attention to thermals than I do wind direction. That's me too. I, I really like yeah. thermals. I, I definitely agree with you there. That's awesome. That That's another thing I've noticed with a lot of mountain hunters is like, you know, at least some of the ones I've talked to, yeah, like, you know, if I can get right wind, that's fine. But a lot of times, you just gotta say kick it to the wind because, you know, what the uh, weather station says and the app and your weather app could be, you know, 180 degrees different from what you're dealing with on the mountain. And sometimes you just gotta deal with what you got. You gotta sit your spot and just know you're in a good area with a deer coming through. That's exactly the way I uh, look at it. Exactly. So I want to I want to get over. Oh, what's up? Oh, Michael. Michael. Uh, well, th- I mean, listen, Michael. Drake, listen, I gotta say this. I gotta talk some crap about Michael real quick while we're on. <laughs> he here. needs to get a bang before listen, he comes over here. Michael. Every time. He just he just drank three. Seem edging into that screen, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> this right here, this is the magic right here. It's, these energy drinks. So, so it is seven thirty, almost eight o'clock at night right now, or however late it is. I don't know. It's eight oh seven. And Michael just drank three hundred milligrams of caffeine, and he is more energized. He's, he's feeling good. He's got both legs shaking under the table. I mean, he's just coming apart. So he's excited for this. This is the most. This is the most I've heard Michael talk on a podcast. Yeah, about a month now. <laughs> well. Two days if I drink one can of that. <laughs> well, um, well, you can go ahead. Like what? What I have is probably it, it's going to be different than the ditches. Well, so. Same thing. I'm, I'm going to get off the ditches too. Well, so um, I'll, I'll, let, I'll let you start first. Okay. Well, I wanted to know, like, since you're focusing on the rut and you're looking for these areas, are you trying to find areas with different doe groups, or it? I guess really in the mountains, like they're so sporadic in these deer are really just traveling that you're just focusing on those train features yep okay exactly yep exactly it is very sporadic well since ginger's going to the bathroom i'll i'll ask you another question um <laughs> so do, you, do y'all get a lot of snow up there or do y'all get any snow uh we do get some snow and some years you know some years we get more than others but almost every year we get some yeah do you I guess try to you know cover some tracks and see what the what the deer are doing. Find any kind of spots like where they're all coming in. Have you used anything and when like it that? Snow, when it snows, I am out there. You see a lot. You see a lot when it snows. Is there anything I mean, you, you 
learn a lot. Yeah. Is there anything you've picked up from the snow, uh, from, from being able to see like where they're going? Yeah. Oh yeah. A lot. I mean, you'll, you'll say, I mean, that snow shows you everything, you know, travel route, you know, travel where they're traveling, you know, uh, I mean, it's, it's going to show you everything. I mean, there's nothing camouflaged when it snows, you know, where they're going and, and you can pick those big tracks out too in those in the snow. But I, I mean, I'm out there when it snows, I don't care. I don't care if it's after season or what I am out there looking and yeah, you'll learn a lot from it. All right, I'm going right, to hand it over to you, Ginge. Okay, geez. I'll, I, I, sit, I sit down, I had to run to the restroom real quick, and uh, I come back, and everybody's looking at me like, uh, hey, your turn. I'm like, well, okay, thanks, guys. Um, so I wanted to get over, and I want to talk about uh, gaps and gaps in habitat because, again, the way you describe gaps isn't like a bluff gap necessarily, but it's like gaps in cover and that shortest gap between one spot to another spot that these bucks are kind of cruising through, correct? Yeah, that's correct, yeah. so It's all under the same umbrella. I mean, a bluff gap, I mean, a gap is a gap. It's just a different terrain feature or uh, most of the gaps that I'm talking about is vegetation. Uh, I have found some really good gaps in rocks. It's not necessarily a bluff. Up here, there's a lot of uh, areas that have just big boulders and, you know, just big rocks and stuff. And, I mean, sometimes they weave through them things. You can find some pretty cool spots and bears will use that too. That That's going to play a uh, part in the outro. Cause my brother shot a bear that walked within 15 yards of him, went through the gap onto the bench below him and he shot it like at eight yards. So was it a vegetation gap? No, it was a rock. Are it was a, it was a rock gap. Oh yeah. Okay. So, yeah. and it, I'm, not a, I'm not a bear hunter. I've never killed a bear, but I've got some friends that are really hardcore clays. One of them, but, uh, yeah some really hardcore bear hunters. Absolutely. Well, so to kind of get over and talk a little bit more about gaps, can you talk a little bit more about just different examples of gaps that you find in the mountains uh, so the listeners can kind of get a picture of what we're kind of talking about here? Yeah, it, most of the gaps that I'm talking about is, are vegetation gaps or thickets. Uh, you know, you've got a higher stem count. A lot of times it's, you know, two to three inch uh, stems, you know, small oaks or whatever. Uh, and a, a lot of time, I, I'll, I'll just give you a really good example of this one spot is there was a tornado came through across these ridges and about, I don't know, four or five years after that. And even now, uh, that created, you know, it created a big open area. So the sunlight got in there and I mean, it is just as thick as it can be. Well, there's certain spots in where that tornado come through that are, more open than the others. Some of it you can't even hardly walk through, but there's some, there's a couple spots that you can walk through pretty easy. And that's where those deer walk through there. And that's kind of an example of what I would call a gap. So it's that shortest point of uh, travel for a buck to come through as he's like traveling through that area. It's not necessarily the shortest, easiest. but it's the, e it's the easiest. Oh. Yeah. Michael's yeah. tracking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's got, I'm picking up what you're putting down. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, now, what is the process of hunting a gap? How do you go to approach a gap? How do you access a gap when you're trying to go in there and you know that a buck's using this area? Yeah. So most of the time when I'm hunting gaps, it is during the rut. It's toward the end of the cruising phase and it's during the rut because if a buck is chasing a doe or whatever, that doe is going to hit that gap and he's going to be right behind her. They're going to go through that gap, go through that gap. So uh, during the rut, I, I kind of switch gears a little bit. 
and I start looking for those, you know, a gap is basically a pinch. It's funneling, funneling, funneling them into a certain spot and they're not gonna run through that really thick stuff. They're gonna go through that open area, that gap. So, and I'll just, I'll just set up right right on the gap. I'll just set right up on it. So it's not like you're setting- It may be on the top of the ridge. Yep, so yeah. it's, it's not like you're set up on a trail. You're just, you know that it's a travel corridor that these deer are gonna be jumping yeah. back through. Yeah, it don't even need it don't even need to be a trail there. I mean, when they're when they're running uh, in those does, they'll hit those gaps, and I mean, it, it's money. It is money during the rut. Is that one of those spots? Of course, during the rut, you're gonna be hunting all day because you never know kind of when they're gonna be coming through, or how do you play that? Yeah, I'll hunt it all day long. I'll sit there. I mean, the last week in October through the through probably three weeks in November, I'm lots of times there all day long. Wherever I decide to hunt, I mean, I might I might get down uh, at a certain if I think that there's a better spot or if I see deer coming through a certain spot or whatever, I might move 30, 40, 50 yards or whatever, but I'll be in that area pretty much all day. I, I don't come out. I pack a lunch. How many cameras I, are you running in the mountains? Oh, you don't even want to know. You don't even want to know. Uh, I'd say probably 80 to 100. But I mean, there's there's three of us. There's three of us full time. So yeah, there's some cameras I hadn't checked in quite a while. But I mean, I've got I've got enough cameras out that, you know, we could go every day and check a different group of cameras and not ever and have a two week rotation between all of them. Now are you putting them at different elevations and different ditches? Like is that how are you I, I, how are you placing I, them? Yeah, I put them everywhere and anywhere. I was gonna say we, we'll probably need to have Rustin on for that. Uh, yeah, Rustin's the game camera expert. I mean, that guy is—it's—it's uh, it's almost spooky. It's almost spooky with him with game cameras because I mean, he can find the biggest buck. He can find the most big buck. I mean, I've never seen nothing like it on public. I mean, he can flat out find. He knows where. I mean, I don't even know how to explain it. It's—it's it's spooky. And, and Rustin, for everybody uh, that doesn't know, that's that's Rusty's son. So uh, yeah. he gets after. That was one thing when I was talking to Dalton about getting you on. He's like, dude, he's like, listen, you might want to have them both on. But I'm like, dude, if we have them both on, it's gonna be a six-hour podcast. No joke. Because I know yeah. when we get on truck and trail cameras with Rustin, it'll be it'll be uh, you know uh-huh. in depth. But uh, that was something Dalton was saying. It's just that he has an eye that most people would overlook something. Throws a camera up there and catches a big buck that most people would be overlooking it and missing. Yeah, he puts them in he, some of the spots. He puts them in that I'm like, there's no way. And then then he just comes up with a big buck. I don't know how he does. He does. What is it? What is it about those areas where the big bucks are popping up on camera that you'd be like, uh, like why are you putting a the camera there? I mean, he'll put one like in just a wide open. I mean, he'll he'll pick a spot then and there won't be nothing there that you would think would draw deer but he uses a lot of mock scrapes and he uses a lot of them during summertime and they will visit them and he's got a couple of different scents that he uses both all synthetic uh that attracts deer really hard that helps him a lot too do you know what those are yeah he'd kill me if i told you i'll tell you one of them uh well i'll tell you two uh, one of the scents that he uses is he pees in every scrape that he possibly can, every mock scrape, he pees in it. Uh, but another one that he uses is vanilla. But there's two other ones that he, he, he'd he kill me if I told you. It's recently recently found, I guess, um, that he's figured out 
that <laughs> it's crazy, but I'm, I'm not going to say what those are. I've got one. I'm going to guess after the podcast, um, but we won't <laughs> do it on air. Uh, cause I, I found one that I found was very interesting that I found online, but anyways, um, okay, we'll get off that. We'll get off the trade secrets. Uh, cause listen, 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 everybody's like, you know, we're on the podcast. We're trying to share what we can, but you know, there's some things you gotta keep some cards close to your chest. Yeah. You can't, you can't share just everything. Um, but, um, back to everything. So we, we touched on the gaps and the aspect of like when you're hunting gaps, uh, talked a little bit on the trail cameras. Um, the other part that I really want us to discuss is the interior edges, that is a phrase I haven't previously heard from anybody else kind of discussing that. Um, you know, what would you classify as an interior edge? And I really want to break this down because I think interior edges will apply to not if you're just hunting the mountains, but everywhere. I think it will. And I hope, uh, I hope the listeners take away something from this because it's something that, uh, that I kind of, I've been doing for a while. Uh, I've just, I've just noticed it. Um, and I first noticed it, in Missouri, I was hunting this particular spot in Missouri. Uh, an interior edge could be, can be just about anything where there is a. Uh, trying to think of the best words to use. It's, it's not a terrain feature, but it is like a uh, vegetation or a tree feature. So this place that I was hunting in Missouri, um, I was hunting this ridge. And uh, there was a bunch of huckleberries that was running down this ridge. And uh, every one of the deer that I saw, I mean, they could walk through the huckleberries fine. I mean, they were only waist high, but they walked right. It was like a belt of them running across this ridge. And, and it followed the ridge a little bit, and then it made a turn. It was almost like you drew it up in a book. It made a turn, and then it went off the side of the ridge. And every single deer would walk right down the edge of it, follow that curve, and go right off go right off that ridge and just follow that edge all the way around. I've seen it a lot on uh, in pine trees. When hardwoods meet pine trees, and we have that a lot up here, there's a couple of management areas pretty close to where I live that has a good mixture of pine and hardwoods. And that edge, uh, so... It's kind of hard. There's a, it's mostly woods up here. There's hardly any fields or anything like that. It's not like farm ground, you know, and farm ground in the Midwest, you know, deer fall edges a lot. So that's kind of where I came up with the term interior edge because I picture it as a big forest. And then you have these edges that are on the interior of that forest. And it's not like a field edge, but it's just a vegetation or a timber change inside the big, the big picture. And they, they travel that like crazy. I killed one of my best bucks on an interior edge like that. Can you walk us through that hunt with that deer? Kind of like, what was the edge like and what was the setup? So, you want me to draw it? You, you could talk. Well, let, let, let's let's talk through it first, and then we'll kind of draw out the example for the, for the viewers. Okay. Uh, so, uh, it was just a basic, just a basic ridge, and there was a ditch that cut off this way a ditch that cut off this way and there's a belt of huckleberries that was running across it come the huckleberries kind of started at the top of this ditch and it just kind of made like a 45 degree and it was just a patch of them and i got to notice i mean there were scrapes and stuff in there but i got to notice and all the deer was traveling that that edge and everything so 
I got to thinking, I, I didn't really want to hunt on top of the ridge, but I mean, every, every deer I saw followed that edge of huckleberries across this ridge. And um, I was getting pictures of a really good buck. He was in the low 140s and um, he was mature. I mean, I've been getting pictures of him for a while, so I knew he was an older deer. And so uh, I just set up right on that edge where I have about a 20 yard shot to that edge. And it took about, I think it took about eight days and I didn't see him at all for eight straight days. I did change stand locations, but probably within a 75 yard area. I did change trees, but I stayed right there for eight days, never even seen him. And I was getting pretty close to giving up because I mean, I just spent eight days of the best hunting of the year going after this buck and on the eighth day, I. He, I mean, he'd come right down the edge of those huckleberries and I shot him. I mean, he just walked right down. He was all by himself. He wasn't chasing does or nothing. He did have his nose on the ground, but he was just walking and he walked right down the edge of those huckleberries and I shot him at, I think he ended up being like 17 yards. That is a factor that most people would not do, as in that kind of patience of have the confidence, not only the patience, but having the confidence in the spot that this is where you need to stay and spend six or spend eight days on stand at, at this location um, to finally kill a deer. And a lot of people will think, oh man, you're going to burn the spot out. But if he's only coming through there one time in eight right. days, yeah. yeah, he has no exactly. idea. So one of the, I mean, you know, we run a lot of cameras, but one of the main reasons I had confidence is I, I had him on camera and I had him several times just at that breaking point in the morning where it's not quite daylight enough to shoot. And by the way, I was going into this stand an hour before daylight, an hour, because he was coming through there about probably 15 to 20 minutes before shooting light. And I, I wanted to be in there early. And I, I may have heard him come through there a couple times, but I didn't see him. And I just knew that if I stayed there long enough, that it may get to the point where I might catch him. And I mean, it was early when I killed him. I mean, it was early, early, barely shooting, barely legal shooting light. Barely. What was the date on this? Do you know? Uh, the, the kill date. Mm-hmm. I'm looking right now, I'm trying to think it was November the 8th, I think seventh or eighth. Was this last year? No, no, it wasn't last year. No, that one last year was five days set. Do you know? Do you know <laughs> this what? Was in, this was in 2000. It's the one I sent you the picture of that's got the six on one side. I'm kind of holding him at, holding him at oh, an yeah. angle. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a big deer. He's a yeah. guy. Uh, he, he, he was 142. Uh, trying to think. It's okay. It was around 2010 or 12, somewhere along in there. Okay. Yeah, I was just wanting to look, uh, see what the moon was doing then. That, that's the deer. Yeah. That, that's the deer right there. Okay. So, that gum. Yeah, that's a big deer. Let's, let's see which one you got there. Oh, here, yeah, hold it up for him. I'll, I'll see if you can yeah, see Yeah, that's it. it. Yeah. That's him. That's yeah. him. Yeah. Hey, that was a really small bodied deer, but he aged at six and a half. Well, so another question I've got uh, since you all run so many trail cameras, do y'all see any major patterns in the mountains of when you're catching bucks on camera? Like times of the month, times of the season, anything like that? Uh, it's really, really sporadic. I mean, there are, uh, I mean, no. 
it's mostly the mature bucks that we get are i'd say 90 percent at night nighttime either videos or pictures and i mean i have port rustin has got you you wouldn't believe how detailed he is you know keeping up with game camera stuff and mature bucks i don't i I mean around here in these mountains i don't think they're predictable they are so unpredictable it's hard to get a pattern on one that's one reason why i bring one reason i was gonna bring it a lot of the really good mountain hunters i know of are killing a lot of their deer that pre-rut rut just right to the end of the rut time frame because that's when they're having they're most on their feet at that point of the season it's it, yeah. it's so hard for me to find it. I'm trying to find somebody like this that's had a lot of success super early in the season because of how unpredictable a lot of the movement is, and also the lower deer numbers in a lot of these areas. It's again, you know, trying to find a needle in the haystack. You might have a trail cam photo of him, but you know that doesn't mean a, a whole bunch of anything if you don't know exactly where he's at and be able to get in, get in on him without him knowing you. Right. Basically, basically, uh, one thing that I like about game cameras is he's there. You know, he's there. You know how, you know, you've got a mature buck on camera. So, you know, you got him at this place at this time. So that's what, I I just want to know he's there. Once I know he's there, then I can go about trying to figure out how to kill him. I I really don't even use the, I mean, I guess sometimes I do, but I mean, I'm not basing everything off of that game camera. I just want to know that that mature buck is there. That's all I want to know. Then I'll go figure out how to kill him. I mean, all this sounds real easy. But you can't you can't imagine the hours and the time spent. I mean, I, I've I've been fortunate fortunate to kill a lot of good deer, but I mean we're talking about years, you know, and and thousands of hours over years times, you know, to be able to be successful. These mountains are tough. These mountains are tough. So I'm not. I'm not quite ready to move on from the interior edges yet. Neither am I. I really want to. I really want to <laughs> keep picking that apart. So the the huckleberry thicket that you were talking about was interesting to me because when I think of edges and when I first heard that, I was thinking that it was going to be some kind of like impenetrable. How do you say that word? Impenetrable. You're going to ask hooked on phonics over here? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's some big thicket that you can hardly walk through. That's what I pictured. But so you're saying it's not that. So is there some it's kind? Not it, does that it? Awful. Does it just have to be something like visually different in the woods? I mean, just just think the example I give you of hardwoods meeting pine. I mean, there's no barrier there. All it is is a change in a tree type. It's like a and soft I edge. Don't know, I don't know what it is uh, about it, but man, I'm telling you, they work. And uh, I, I just don't know. I mean, it may be wide open woods. You just go from hardwoods to pines. And that, that, that edge right there where they're at. And, and, I mean, terrain factors in, you know, depending on, you know, what's there. But, I mean, those edges, if you can find the right interior edge and the right terrain at the same time, man, that is money. That is money. So what does that look like? What does the right edge and the right terrain look like? Does it, is there a certain level of thickness that you're looking for or anything like that? No, not really. I mean, not really a certain level of thickness. It's just it's it's really hard to explain. I wish I I need to take more pictures out in the woods. I did on our Instagram page the other day. I tried to do a storyline where I showed myself and I showed where an interior edge was and I tried to explain it, but it's it's really hard. I mean, I could take somebody to the woods and show them and they're like, "Oh, okay. Yeah, I can start looking for that now." But most people don't even 
and they'll walk through the woods and they won't even notice because it's so minimal. It's not like a hard edge. Most of the time, it's not a hard edge. I've got a example I could explain to you. Um, there's a place in uh, northwest Alabama, and so a lot of these areas get um, cut on top, and they're uh, replanted in pines. And this certain section, right where the pines meet uh, the hardwoods, there was a, a lot of sunlight getting in right there, and there was about a 10-yard stretch of briars, and it's just a briar thicket that runs the whole length right on that uh, right on that transition right there between pines and hardwoods and there's also a uh, a creek right below it probably about 30 or 40 yards and where that creek uh, was cutting into the rock it made it to where there was uh, about a 15 foot bluff on each side of the creek um, where it was running through and they would these deer would cross the uh, the drainage right there come up one of these ditches and use that transition right there it was almost like a little bit of a a barrier just that soft transition and they would follow it along the whole ridge down through there between that and yep. a little bit of a bluff that's a good example but you know in these mountains uh you're not gonna have it's not gonna be that defined i mean it's just it's kind of like the light light traveled trail i was talking about earlier it, it's gonna be something that's you got to work to be able to find i mean you're not it's not going to just pop out at you you got to really realize uh what you're looking at and it's 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 a game changer. I promise you. All right, I've got I've got a question. This has hit me because you said light. How do, how do I put this? How do I put this? I already know where if, you're going. If well, there's a couple things I'm going to go with this. When if you think back to all the bucks that you've killed or even had run-ins um, in the mountains up there, was it ever a certain facing slope or a certain facing drainage? As in north, south, east, west? He's shaking nope. shaking his head. Nope. <laughs> So can I ask you not this question? This this kind of piggybacks off of his. Man, I, wanted, uh, I wanted him to answer that and give me give me a reason. But he was okay. shaking his head. No, I know he was going to say something. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> there's really there's really <laughs> look at him. <laughs> He's having fun. Right there. That, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, there's I have not got had any evidence that they would use one one over the other at all. Dang it. Same way with same way with. Same way with finding sheds, like south-facing slopes and north-facing slopes. I have found both. I have found them on both exactly equal. I got the floor now? Sure thing. All right. Uh So uh, does, uh, let's see, prevailing wind, if it's a leeward or a windward side of a ridge, does does that matter? Do you hunt either one? I will hunt either one. uh, I'm trying to think about that. Um, I, I really don't think it matters. I mean, I can just think, I'm just trying to think back in my mind. I've hunted both. Uh, I don't, I don't really think that there's like, I'd say it'd be 50, 50. With those Northwest winds that you were talking about, you really like hunting. Are you on the South side? of the? I'll still, I'll still hunt the leeward side of it. Okay. Even, even with a Northwest wind. Right. Do you ever jump? I'll, so do you, do you prefer that? you know, leeward side or do you hunt the windward side just as much? I'd, I'd say 50, 50, man. I mean, wherever I think that deer is going to come through, I, I'm not worried about the leeward or windward side of the, not worried about it. So in I'm, t- hunt, I'm hunting where I think that deer is going to be. 
So interior edges is something that I find just very interesting just because, you know, I can go back to think of areas uh, where you have privet down here in the southeast where it'll be all closed, quote unquote, closed canopy, just ponds or whatever. And then you have like a drainage or something that has some privet going down it or has, uh, which we have a lot of privet hedge down here. I don't know if y'all probably don't have any privet up in the mountains. Y'all might have some mountain laurel maybe, uh, which. Yeah, a little bit. Um, but this privet hedge, I mean, you could find in wide open heart and wide open pines, just like a little bit of privet, which is just a thicker kind of shrub bush kind of going yeah. through it. And it's not impenetrable, but all those deer sucking to that in wide open pines and just going down that edge or kind of working their way through that. That's a perfect example right there. Perfect. Hey, I'll tell you another thing. Um, there's a, there's a spot um, in one of these uh, public areas that I hunt that got some logging done in it. Uh, they just went in and thinned uh, some pine out. And underneath those pines there was some i don't even it looked like like switch grass or something like that it, or might have been just sage grass or whatever grew up under those pines and i mean by no means impenetrable you know i mean but but they follow right around that edge of that grass it's it's crazy i don't know i don't know what it is but that's another good example of an interior edge that i've hunted i hadn't killed a deer in that in that particular spot I've seen a couple of good ones, but they'll use that just the grass versus hardwood leaf forest floor. They'll use that grass. Yeah, it feels like it make would it would make sense that they're doing that because they can have a visual advantage kind of walking through it, walking that edge. And if something if there's you know danger one way or the other, they can hop into that thick cover or thicker cover right there that they're walking down. Yeah. Edges work, man. They work. Classic. Um so one, one, I'm just going to ask this question. I already know the answer, but I'm going to ask the question because I think some listeners are probably wondering about this. You don't ever really see bucks using some kind of, or do you say, I'm not going to, I'm not going to answer it. Or I'm not going to say it that way because I'm not going to assume, but I've got my answer in my head. I think, do you ever see bucks using wind to their advantage while traveling? Like with, you know, wind quartering to them or something like that, or wind over their, like, have you witnessed anything like that, that you've seen a pattern to? You might not like my answer. No, I think I know your answer. I think I think we're on the same page. There's no. Yep. I have not. That's that's what I was going to say. I'm, but occasionally, there's going to be a, a circumstance where you know it, it's going to it's going to appear like he's using the wind at, for you know to his advantage, but he may or may not be. I don't know, but but no, no. I've I've killed a I've killed a lot of deer with with the wind in his advantage. You know, I don't know if my wind was blowing over him, if he just didn't smell me or what, but I've killed a lot of deer that I thought in my mind that the wind was blowing straight to him. Do you have more, do you have more luck, uh, with, um, pre-rut, just them cruising by themselves or following does? Uh, cruising by themselves by far, I'd say 80%. Now, do you, do you use any kind of, uh, sense or anything like that? Any kind of calling uh, tactics, anything rut related? I was kind of hoping you'd bring that up. Um, I don't call very much at all. Not in the mountains. I don't. I know some people do, and I know it works. But like I said earlier, I'm an ambush type hunter, and I'm a real patient hunter. And I don't want that deer to know where I'm at. Uh, uh, I don't call very much. I do a little bit, but not very much. I do have a grunt call in my bag. I do have a rattle bag in my bag. And I will occasionally 
but not very often. Now in the Midwest, it's a whole different ball game. I call a lot out there. Why is it uh, different? Is it it's just a deer density thing? Well, um, it could be buck to ratio, buck to doe ratio type stuff, but uh, over the years, I have tried. I've tried everything. I've tried every tactic. I've tried calling, not calling at all, calling a little bit. We're talking, I mean, I've been bow hunting for a long time, over 30 years, and I've tried it all. And just in my experience, I know there's some people that are diehard callers and they really like to call a lot. But just in my personal experience, I have not had the response and I've not had the success that I thought I should have by calling a lot. So therefore, I just don't call a lot. I stay pretty quiet and I'm patient and I wait on them. And I just try to position myself in a spot to where I think they're going to be in daylight. Does that answer your question? Oh, yeah. It does. Yep. Perfect. Uh, Rusty, I, I want to ask you, uh, this might be one of my last questions, but I'll say that all the time. And then listeners hear me say this and they look at their phone or whatever. And we got 45 more minutes on the podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's an honest, that's an honest truth. That happens uh, a lot. That's an honest <laughs> statement. But one of my last questions I want to ask is what do you think some of the guys, like there's a lot of guys that are hunting the mountains. I know a lot of people that hunt the Ozarks. I know people personally that I, I went to school with when I was up there that hunt up there and they struggle for whatever reason, but they love hunting it because it's, it's such a struggle fest uh, as, as they would call it. What do you think some of the biggest mistakes people make when hunting in areas like the Ozark uh, Mountains um, or really any kind of places with some large terrain features and uh, just more kind of changes in elevation? Well, just in my opinion, and I'll throw Dalton under the bus here, is I think a lot of people are very impatient uh, and they don't have uh, confidence in what they're doing and where they're at. Uh, Dalton, he's... He's bad about that, but I'm, I'm coaching. But I, th I think that's the number one reason. I mean, I, th I mean, I think a lot of people know enough to where they can put themselves in a position, you know, to kill a good buck or to at least see them. But you have to be the, these mountains are just you have to be patient. <clears throat> you it's easy to get down on yourself. It's easy to get frustrated. You got to keep a positive attitude. I know it's easier said than done, but you have to keep a positive attitude. You got to keep working hard and you got to be extremely patient. And if, if you'll do those three things right there, I think that would increase your success rate by, by double just by doing those three things. So let me bring this up then. How does that play a factor? Well, let me ask you, if you don't mind me asking, what do you do for a living? I work at a, uh, and I'm, I'm working in the engineering department at a plant that makes steel cord for tires and hose reinforcement wire for uh, hydraulic hoses. Interesting. I thought you were going to be your own business owner because as, as much as you hunt, I'm like, you're either burning a ton of vacation time or you own your own business. So that's where <laughs> I was getting at with that. I've been there 23 years and I've got a lot of vacation. Awesome. Okay, cool. So that makes more sense. That's what I was trying to get at because you're talking about patience being a big factor. But what about for the guys that you, they work Monday through Friday, they can only hunt Saturday, Sunday, maybe they have a family. What do you tell somebody like that that's in this situation where they can't hunt other than using some vacation time, which maybe they have to split part of it with the wife, you know, going on trips and, you know, they have a little bit maybe they can use for hunting. What is your advice for those guys that just don't have a ton of time they can spend in the woods, at least consecutive days back to back? Yeah, uh, I know you have to split family time with, you know, time in the woods and everything, but one thing that I would say is just try 
to go to the woods as much as you possibly can, you know, in the off season and try to get the scouting and uh, finding certain areas like all these terrain features that we've talked about. Try to get out there and have those places located before the season or after a season is over, go out there and have those spots located. Mark them on your own X or whatever maps you got. Have them located and get your uh, boot work done, your boots on the ground, get that done. If you And then during the season, if you've only got seven days to hunt, I would hunt maybe one or two days before Halloween and, and pick you seven days out right then. That's what I would pick personally. But I would say just just get the get get the footwork out of the way and find you some good locations, and that way when hunting season gets there and when you take your vacation, you can spend more time in the stand, uh, since you don't have that much time to. I mean, you need to scout during season too, but if you don't have that time, you need to be in the tree stand if you want if you want to kill the deer. I mean, it, it just, it just, I mean, it just boils down to, it just takes, you, you have to make a decision to put in the hard work, you know, be dedicated at if you really and truly want to kill a mature buck. I mean, you just have to make that decision to, to spend every spare minute of your time uh, trying to figure out how to kill that mature buck. All right, so this is the other question that uh, just came to mind while you were talking about this. Do, do scrapes play a factor for you at all in the mountains? Uh, I would say, yeah, I, I love scrapes. I, I, I don't, I rarely hunt right over the top of them, but I do, uh, I mean, I put cameras on them all the time. Um, I'm usually hunting in a, in a really close vicinity of scrapes. Of course, a lot of, a lot of the hunting I do, hunting these ditches and stuff, you know, they're not going to usually make a scrape on that steep of ground, usually it's like on a ridge top, in a saddle, you know, somewhere on a fairly flat ground. But yeah, most of the time when I'm hunting, I'm in the vicinity of, especially a primary scrape, you know. But I mean, I don't, I don't hunt right over top of it. That, that was one thing I'm interested in because in the outro, people are going to hear my brother, uh, Thomas Myers, come on. We're going to talk a little bit about his experience hunting the Ozarks and uh, some things he's been struggling with and also having success with his bear. And he's been, he's been, the reason why I brought that up is he's been getting caught up on some scrapes on top of some of these ridges when he's catching all the bucks, he's catching some videos of bucks on those ridges, but they're always at, you know, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, midnight, 2 a.m., 3 a.m. And then he's got some cameras off these drainages or, you know, at the head of some of these drainages on these benches and he's catching bucks at 5 a.m., 6 a.m., 7 a.m. there. And but he gets yeah. tore up because he sees all these big scrapes. So I mind that scrape wasn't there yesterday, and we're going to talk about it in the outro. But uh, that's why I, I wanted to bring I, that up. A lot of scrapes, and that is a big uh, communication uh, deal with you know with deer. And I love seeing them. I love putting cameras on them. But and, and you can kill and you can kill bucks over top of scrapes. I've done it, but uh, most of the time I'm not hunting right over the top of those scrapes. All right. Well. Um, Michael, do you have any other final questions? The Dilla himself? No, I think I've uh, I think I put in my legwork for tonight. <laughs> oh, that, that I'm gonna buy a bunch of bangs and keep them in the fridge here. Dude, we'll keep a mini fridge here, just full of energy drinks for Mike. <laughs> Andrew, do you got anything? No, I'm 
I'm good. Awesome. Well, uh, Rusty, before we let you go, uh, I want people to check out y'all's YouTube channel and uh, social media platforms. So how can guys follow along with you all? And also, uh, at United Outdoors, but also if anybody has questions and they reach out through through social media, how can guys get a hold of you? They can message me through uh, Facebook Messenger. They can message me through Instagram messaging. Uh, that's probably the best two ways that they can reach out. And if they, they can ask questions to our United Outdoors page and me or Dalton or Rustin, any of the three of us may answer questions. And we do all the time. And we try to answer every question that comes in. Awesome. And y'all got the YouTube channel up and running, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we are, are starting to ramp that up. Uh, it's United Outdoors. We just dropped a arrow build uh, episode, I think, just last week. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to start, we don't have a whole lot on there, but we're starting to ramp that up more and more. But our main thing is Instagram, and then we also are on Facebook, United Outdoors. Excellent. Awesome. Well, Rusty, thank you again for coming on the podcast, sharing some knowledge with us from the Ozark Mountains of Arkansas, and uh, best of luck to you for the rest of your season. Hey, good luck to you guys, too. It's good talking with you. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman. And thank you to Blackberry Smoke for the music for the podcast. Also, to follow along with us, make sure you check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Until next time, y'all stay Southern. All right, guys, we're starting to get kind of close to summer here. And you know what my favorite part about summer is? The Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard us talk about it a lot last year, and we actually got to meet a lot of you guys at that expo. Well, we're excited to announce we're going to be there again. This time it's going to be in Dalton, Georgia, June 28th through June 30th. We are going to be there all three days. We're going to have a bunch of past podcast guests there. We're going to have a booth where you can come by and grab some merchandise. And I'm sure we're going to be recording all kinds of podcasts there. If you're unfamiliar, the Mobile Hunters Expo is the place you need to be if you are the kind of hunter that listens to this podcast this show was literally made for you it is an excellent group of people that are going to be there a lot of whitetail killers from around the southeast are going to be there you're going to get to talk to them shake their hand learn from them in person make some connections and guys we get a lot of questions about hey, which saddle should i get which tree stand should i get what about this piece of gear what about that piece of gear how do I meet other hunters who want to hunt the same way that I do? You know, finding a good hunting buddy. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a place for all of that. So you guys don't miss it. June 28th through the 30th, Dalton, Georgia. We'll see you there.